the ones that stand out most were uh, once when a person in the audience, when I was doing a conference talk about designing for children, mm-hmm. asked me, how do you market to kids? And the answer I just wanted to give, you know, promptly was, you don't. Um, and that's really when I realized how much I dislike the notion of treating children as consumers. super excited and looking forward to making this episode because today's guest is a professional user experience researcher and designer at her own company, Felbe UX Consult. She's a senior lecturer at the Business Academy Southwest here in Denmark. She's a speaker at several international events and writer of her latest book, Whitehead UX, a copy of which I'm lucky to have in my hands right now. And I cannot wait to start reading it. Not only does she fulfill all of the above-mentioned roles, but I'm lucky enough to have her as my guiding mentor and friend in my journey into the jungle of UX design. She's awesome, and today we will talk about design ethics and how to design interfaces for children. Trine, welcome to Digital Nordic Creatives. Thank you very much for having me. So... Trine, I already introduced your many jobs and roles, so it's easy to hear that you're very passionate about your work. I'm interested to hear how did your interest about UX start and where did you get interested about design ethics and how did this develop throughout your education and career? Well, for as long as I can remember, I've been passionate about the people who use products, who use the products that we make. And I've, I think I've actually worked with UX before the term even existed. Uh, back in the day in 2001, when I, uh, when I studied design and multimedia, usability was my favorite topic above all, but UX did not exist as a term. Um, and as far as design ethics is concerned, I find it to be a natural extension of having a human-centered mindset and also uh, being a person who genuinely want to use their time and skills to do good, to lift others up. Um, so I, I really enjoy the, the notion of empowering others through design. And so I guess the passion for creating ex- uh, ethical experiences has always been there. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, it grew and developed quite a lot when I started researching and working with um, within the field of designing for children. Uh, did you have any key moments in your professional life that were sort of wake-up calls that made you think, oh, this is what I'm interested in? Yes, I've had quite a few. Um, and I, if I were to highlight, you know, maybe three, um, I think... The, the ones that stand out most were uh, once when a person in the audience, when I was doing a conference talk about designing for children, mm-hmm. asked me, how do you market to kids? And the answer I just wanted to give, you know, promptly was, you don't. Um, and that's really when I realized how much I dislike the notion of treating children as consumers. Mm-hmm. The other or the second um moment was when one of my students said in his graduation speech that my classes had sparked his passion for experience design and that we that he now sort of had a career direction that he loved and that reminded me um, of the power of teaching others and how important that is 
And I think the third moment that really um, was a wake-up call and, and a personal achievement was the time when I advocated for collect collecting list data in a in a company where I did UX in, mm -hmm. and the founder founder actually listened listened and agreed, and uh, that highlighted to me the importance of communicating, and also that good exists even on management level. <laughs> <laughs> Three very important moments. It it makes sense, um, and. Because I know you a little bit as a person, it completely makes sense now, mm. um, the development of your education and career. Um, can I ask you, you started studying multimedia yeah. and then you, um, you worked for a while and then you told me that then you took a master's yes. degree. I, I didn't go the straight route from uh, high school to university and then into the job market. I actually went back and forth a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And my master's degree, I, I did my master's degree while working. And that really gave me um, a, a much greater sense of context than I think I would have had mm -hmm. had I gone straight from high school to university because I actually had some professional experience that I could leverage into my education. So that was, uh, uh, I can only recommend that, that others do the same. It's, mm -hmm. it's much more meaningful to study that way, to go back and forth between practice and, and school instead of going sort of the straight, straight uh, route. Mm -hmm. I will follow this advice for sure, <laughs> like we talked before. Mm -hmm. um, but like we heard, you are very engaged with teaching, speaking, writing and mentoring. That's a lot of roles. Do you find time to do design work um, with so much weight on your shoulders? Not as much as I wanted to, no. Uh, right now, a lot of my time is spent on teaching and mentoring and writing, and it's no secret that I would uh, I would love to have my hands on some more UX work. Uh, but I'm sure that you know an interesting project will show up sometime soon in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and out of all of these roles that you have, which ones or which one do you enjoy the most? I enjoy the combination. If you asked me to give one up, I wouldn't be able to to tell you which one. I really, I think the, the combination of making and teaching others best practice and, you know, doing that through classes, but also through conference talks and through writing, I think is, uh, is you know, it, it's the complete sort of circle. So I wouldn't be able to give one up. No. no. <laughs> Yeah, and if you complete all of these roles perfectly, there's no reason to give one up. Exactly. Yes. Um, let's talk a little bit more about one of your most important roles, which has been and still is designing web interfaces for kids. In one of your talks, you say that kids are exposed to a lot of crap <laughs> yes. that, they, <laughs> that they can't understand and process before a certain age. Could you explain what happens to kids when they are exposed to ads and the like in that age? So I think the biggest problem is that they don't have the same, the filter of, it, of, an, of an adult brain, right? They, um, they are easily scammed 
And it's because they are very good hearted and they are probably kids are more good hearted than, than adults because they haven't been through the same experiences. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, that that's a big problem because their natural curiosity also means that they will get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse, but, but they will get them, they will you know, get in trouble online. And the problem is that getting in trouble online these days can be really, a, a, you know, a big safety risk. Mm-hmm. It's not as serious, it, it's it's not as serious, you know, if you get in trouble for, you know, grabbing an apple at the neighbor's apple tree, as it is, you know, if you give up your address to a stalker online, because you don't realize at the age of nine or eight, that you shouldn't give up your personal identity. So I, I think that, that that natural curiosity is, is uh, both a blessing and a curse for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is this is very important to know as a kid, mm. but I can imagine also as a parent, do you sometimes do talks with parents in your circle um, or even, I don't know, conference talks when you when you give to- conference talk to designers, do you also talk to them as parents? Um, I find that designers who are parents are very um, uh, preoccupied with this subject, actually. I, I, I hear from a lot of parents when I do these conference talks. And we often have, you know, parental discussions, you know, and, and one of the questions that often come up is, you know, how restrictive should, should we be? Should we, you know, ban the iPad mm-hmm. and ban uh, the browser because it's, you know, dangerous? Um, but but I do find a lot of, of designers who are parents that on a personal level are deeply concerned about this type of topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely a common factor. Yeah. Okay. And you yourself are not only an awesome designer, <laughs> but also a mother. Um, you have two sons, Yes, right? I do. Yes. Um, does the designer hat that you have ever conflict with the parent hat? So as a designer, you know that this is not ethical, but mm. my kid is asking me <laughs> yep. to have his iPad for a bit longer. <laughs> well, um no, I actually don't think they conflict in that respect because I try to I try to have discussions with my children around digital safety when, you know, when the opportunity arises. Mm-hmm. And I, I I generally I think that parent, parents should, you know, whenever their kid comes and says, you know, I was asked to do this or how do I do that? And if they if the parent sees this as a security risk, mm-hmm. then instead of saying, You're not allowed to do this, now I'm taking away your iPad for, you know, a week because you weren't able to um uh, to uh, um sort of handle this yourself, how could they know? How can how can they? Because they're not trained yet. So take every every opportunity mm-hmm. you can you you know, when you spot an opportunity, take the opportunity to talk to your child about mm-hmm. being critical and reflective and uh, how to stay safe, but without, you know, scaring them to death. Because we know, adults know that there is some scary stuff out there that we really need to uh, to protect our children against. But they need to, they, they also need to grow digitally and they need to grow, gain, uh, you know, um, experience in handling and interacting with uh, the online world, the online sphere. So I, I, I really think it's important to mm-hmm. to not just, you know, restrict for the sake of restriction because we think it keeps them safe. I actually think it uh, can do the opposite because they don't learn. Mm-hmm. Right. 
This is so true, and I can identify this from my own family. My mother and my younger brother have often these conflicts about... She thinks phone is the evil mm. <laughs> because she sees that her his behavior has changed since she has gotten an iPhone. And she doesn't know how to deal with this. So mm. she often finds herself restricting him and sees the consequences that that has. That it's, that it's actually not influencing him in a good way either. Because he still needs to be present and be social with his friends online. Mm. Um, but where is the middle ground? Like, where is the limit that lays between, you know, restricting your kid or just giving him enough freedom to learn and understand mm. technology? I think, I think it's very individual from child to child. I think some children... Um, have an a natural um, curiosity towards other things than digital. I know for my my two children, um, mm-hmm. one is completely. If, if he had the choice, he would be completely absorbed absorbed in an iPad or a computer all day. You know, only exiting his room to eat or go to the bathroom. <laughs> Whereas the other often, you know, d- reflects at nighttime, saying, "I did. I didn't even use the iPad today." So, mm-hmm. and he sees his brother doing it, so that's why he reflects that he did not. Mm-hmm. So I think if you have a child that is uh, very uh, sort of attracted to screens, that in that case it can it can be a good idea to restrict the the time the the, the amount of time that they're allowed to because I, social skills grow from also grow from uh, you know being present and being physically pr- present and interacting in the in the physical world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I found helpful to do. It it doesn't always go down well, but you know, as parents, we have we have the uh, the responsibility to do the best for our children, not necessarily what they want. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, of course true. I don't have kids of my own, but having a younger brother is almost like being a mom. <laughs> mm, yes. Um, now we talked about the role of parenting. What about designers? What are the some advices and guidelines that you would give to designers who are designing for kids on the other end of the screen. Mm. So I would say, um, of course, there were tons of, of sort of uh, specific um, guidelines towards designing the UI, but that I think that's actually less interesting than than saying that. that I think as a designer that designs for children, you should celebrate the child's curiosity, and you should always always aim to empower them and lift them up. Uh, instead of treat, treating them as consumers. And, you know, to many that might sound like the words of an idealist. <laughs> I think they're right. Uh, but I don't believe in working with something that does not, uh, that isn't meaningful to the people on the other side of the uh, the table or product. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's that's really my standpoint on that. I completely agree with that. <laughs> Doing good when you have the choice but also doing the best when you don't have the choice is yes. very important. Yes. This conversation naturally leads to one of your other passions, which is design ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, design ethics is a topic of a great interest to me. And from our previous discussions and conversations, it's, uh, it is to you too. But to many of our listeners, it might sound 
a bit complicated or confusing. So let's start from the start. Um, what is design ethics and where do we see manifestations of it? Mm. So I think, well, I don't think, but I know that design ethics and ethics, ethical design are two things that are discussed uh, sort of separately. Mm -hmm. uh, so design ethics is the set of rules that a designer works by. And ethical design is the manifestation of designers and businesses with eth with ethics. Okay. So it, I think it's important to maybe distinguish the two. Uh, the two. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, most often the uh, the evil dark examples are brought up uh, because people call them out, and I of course it makes sense. We call them out when we see them, when we get you know upset. Yeah. Uh, but personally, I would love to see our industry start celebrating the good examples instead mm -hmm. uh, I it's not like we shouldn't call out the bad examples because we should because we because we they need to be called out and exposed but I would love to see more best practice and more good examples um, being brought you know brought up mm -hmm. like uh, companies who do good and uh, who don't use traditional marketing but use their budgets to uh, you know um, um, Uh, donate to NGOs instead and you know there are so many good companies out there mm -hmm. and we just we forget to uh, I think we forget to celebrate them mm -hmm. um, do you can you mention some of these companies the good ones mm -hmm. so there there is a hotel that I now forgot the name of uh, I actually mentioned him in the, uh, mentioned a lot of them in the article that I have on mm -hmm. smashing magazine about e uh, design ethics eth ethical design uh, but there is a whole hotel company or chain not chain but a hotel website mm -hmm. in uh, Copenhagen based in Copenhagen that actually uh, supports NGOs instead of uh, instead of uh, using traditional marketing uh, which is an interesting business model and again I, I I think it's, inter it's especially interesting because it's the business model that that they changed. Mm -hmm. Instead of just you know running a, a, a website where you can rent hotel rooms, they they changed the business model of that the way that we usually do that, or that mm -hmm. you know hotels.com does it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I, they turn it upside down. And I think that's interesting. Um, I think on the on the other hand, some of the really bad examples is like for instance Skype, who um, Uh, who doesn't let you <laughs> delete your account unless you also de delete your entire Microsoft account, which is problematic if you, you know, run anything in the cloud from Microsoft, for instance, yeah. right? Um, so, so, yeah, there are good, lots of good examples and lots of bad examples as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, I would mention one bad example of, um, I wouldn't call it um, bad ethics, or maybe I would, But it's definitely um, a company that uses dark patterns. It's uh, Amazon. Mm. I have tried to go into Amazon and try to delete my account. And you would go to you know, my account and then you expect to find it there. Mm. But no, you go through a very different journey. You have to go to the bottom of the page, the footer, and then find um, some place in there. And it's hidden behind, I think you have to go through 20-25 clicks before you can be able to delete your account and you have to chat with someone from Amazon to ask them to delete the, your account for mm. you. Yeah. I think that that's uh, that makes our life more miserable and yeah. it's 
far from good user experience design or ethics. Mm. So there are actually a set of uh, a set of dark patterns uh, uh, on the website called darkpatterns.org that actually defines all these uh, uh, these patterns that are uh, super evil. And and uh, Roach Motel, which is the one that you describe, is definitely present on that list as well. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's easy to get in, but impossible to get out yeah. from that. You know. <laughs> A really bad hotel experience. They won't let you go once you're there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So, so that's definitely a, a dark pattern example. Yeah. Um, and from these dark patterns or evil pot- patterns, what scares you the most? I think the the ones that scare me the most are the ones that violate our privacy mm-hmm. uh, because they effectively trick us into compliance. We see a lot of experience, a lot of examples of that. You know. Um, when you have to uh, mark a, uh, set, add a check mark if you agree to some weird uh, you know combination of words um, that's not clear and you're not really sure what you say yes to but you can't you know you, you can't buy the product or you know do whatever you set out to do unless you comply and you're not sure what you are complying to and then mm-hmm. what you are complying to is you know to have all sorts of marketing material crap sent to your email and you can't you know and and even you know third parties uh, that they sell your email address to third parties and stuff like that, and so and it, you know it's also a lot more serious when it comes to you know apps iPhone apps spying on you and, and listening to your conversations and you actually opted in you actually complied to that without knowing it right mm-hmm. because you said yes to their terms and conditions mm-hmm. I think those are probably the ones that scare me the most yeah and uh, actually talking about that. Our followers know that one of our previous guests in the show was Aral Balkan. That's uh, the fourth episode, if you're interested in hearing it. Um, who He's very passionate about design ethics and having a free decentralized internet as default. And I think, I think we both think that he's doing a wonderful job with uh, his company Indie. And he's definitely going in the right direction at a legislative level. But as we, as we have discussed previously, that cannot be enough. The change needs to start at a designer or even a personal level as well. What would you say to your colleagues who are aware of the problems, but they are not sure what to do to contribute mm. to the change for the better? I would say that they need to take a good critical look at their own practice. And, you know, if they're working at, with an ethical product or in an ethical company Um, most products and companies even those with you know the best intentions have room for improvement we know that Mm -hmm. and that's okay Uh, so I'd say to them that they should ask the right questions Mm -hmm. and stay critical and that they should advocate for ethical design whenever they have the chance I mean discuss it with your colleagues but also find ways to bring it on uh, to a strategic level to Mm -hmm. management level Um, and I always think that a good rule of thumb is to ask yourself, would I want my loved ones to use this product or feature that I'm building? If the answer is no, you should do something about it, right? Mm-hmm. And I hope that more and more designers become aware because it is our our challenge and our mission to choose to do good. Mm, exactly. Choose to do good. Yeah.
can do good in many ways. And one of the ways you do that is teaching. Uh, they say that you only truly learn when you teach others. As a senior lecturer, you have, in my opinion, a noble mission to transmit your knowledge and what you know to be truth to the generations ahead. It's a mission with a lot of pleasure, I assume, but also many responsibilities. Um, what do you find challenging about the generation that you are teaching right now? It is definitely a great responsibility um, that I have as a, as a teacher and one I don't take lightly. Um, I think the students in my classroom have a great challenge ahead of them because the complexity of, jo of, of their job just increases. It was a lot easier to be a front-end designer <laughs> and developer back when I started out uh, because the amount of tools and languages and platforms is a lot to take in and the learning curve is, is like it's steepening. And the industry knows that as well. Um, recently, or maybe a month ago, uh, Smashing Magazine, um, who they they do a fantastic job at. I think that they are just one of the, you know, if, if we talk about ethic ethical companies, mm -hmm. I think Smashing Magazine just stand out and excel, mm -hmm. you know, all others, because what they do is they they not only treat you know the the people that they that use their products right, but they also They also bring forward their knowledge. And what they actually did is realizing Vitaly Friedman, who's the uh, editor-in-chief or former, former editor-in-chief, said, you know, complexity is just, uh, there's just so much complexity to be a front-end developer these days. We need to do something about that. So he's he, uh, Smashing Magazine, together with some, some other uh, organizations, are actually starting up, you know, front-end developer uh, a school in um, in Berlin, and I think it's fantastic mm -hmm. um, that they do good and they want to bring forward their knowledge and and sort of you know uh, lift up the industry and lift up the the younger generation because it is a big challenge. So, what do you think it, it's important to teach apart from theories and methods of design? You mentioned Smashing Magazine has mm. started a school, probably to teach theories and methods. Um, but what is otherwise important to teach? Practice and industry standards mm -hmm. and critical thinking. I think that's just, it's just, it's not enough to know the theory and methodology at all. If you don't know to apply it or to be critical of your choices, you know, you can, you can read methodology and theory in books, right? But if you don't know how to apply it and, and stay critical around your own practice, it's, 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 you know, it doesn't make any sense. So I think that's super, super important. Uh, also, I think nurturing a human-centered mindset is fundamental. Mm -hmm. If we want to send good people into the tech industry, I think that's uh, fundamental. And mm -hmm. uh, now I'm going to ask you what might sound as a hard question. <laughs> if you had only one last lesson to be able to teach to your students and generally people of the world, what would it be? That would be a class on empathy. Uh, everything good that we do comes from putting ourselves in the shoes of others and feeling their pain and their joy. And if we can't, if we if we don't have empathy, if we don't have, if we don't apply empathy to our work, we will never succeed in creating products that do fundamental good. So empathy is my definite answer on that one. <laughs> Beautiful answer. Thank you for that. And with that positive note, uh, I hope you will all become a little bit more empathetic in your everyday life 
And I want to thank you, Trine, for being on Digital Nordic Creatives. And we look forward to follow you uh, and your future work on human-centered uh, design and ethical design. Thank you very much for having me, Chintila. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Remember that you can find, follow and contact Trine at her website, trinefelbe.com, and on LinkedIn and Twitter at Trine Felbe.